From Greenville, South Carolina, we present... Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, preaching Christ in all His fullness. Once again, we count it a privilege to welcome you to another broadcast of Let the Bible Speak, presenting a series of studies on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Messages preached by Dr. Alan Cairns, founder of Let the Bible Speak Radio Ministries. We'll hear from Dr. Cairns in just a few minutes. First, we invite you to enjoy this devotional thought taken from the pen of the great 19th century English preacher C.H. Spurgeon and found in his collection called Faith's Checkbook. Our devotional for today bears the title, You Deal with God. The text is found in Hosea chapter 11 and verse 9. I will not execute the fierceness of mine anger. I will not return to destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not man. The Lord thus makes known his sparing mercies. It may be that the listener is now under heavy displeasure, and everything threatens his speedy doom. Let the text hold him up from despair. The Lord now invites you to consider your ways and confess your sins. If he had been man, he would long ago have cut you off. If he were now to act after the manner of men, it would be a word and a blow, and then there would be an end of you. But it is not so, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are his ways above your ways. You rightly judge that he is angry, but he keepeth not his anger forever. If you turn from sin to Jesus, God will turn from wrath. Because God is God and not man, there is still forgiveness for you, even though you may be steeped up to your throat in iniquity. You have a God to deal with, and not a hard man nor even a merely just man. No human being could have patience with you. You would have wearied out an angel, as you have wearied your sorrowing father. But God is long-suffering. Come and try him at once, confess, believe, and turn from your evil way, and you shall be saved. Still unsatisfied 
If your Bible reading is usually in the authorized or King James Version, you have probably encountered words that are quite unfamiliar. Because the authorized version was translated in the 17th century, some of its words are no longer in use or perhaps have a different meaning now. Let the Bible Speak is pleased to offer a booklet containing many of those archaic terms and their meaning in modern-day speech. In addition, the booklet contains a Bible reading plan that will help you to read the whole Bible through in two years, as well as the Psalms and the New Testament twice. To obtain your copy of A Bible Word List free of charge, simply email info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you wish, you may call us at 864-244-2408. That's 864-244-2408. If you prefer regular mail, simply write, Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Just ask for your copy of A Bible Word List, and we'll be happy to provide it. As Dr. Cairns continues this series of messages on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, he comes today to the role of the Holy Spirit in prayer. The text is found in Ephesians 2, verse 18, where the Apostle Paul wrote, For through him, that is Christ, we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Then in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, God promises to pour out upon his people the Spirit of grace and of supplications. In the course of this message, Dr. Cairns will show how the Holy Spirit helps believers in the place of prayer. As he introduces the message, he calls attention to the various hindrances to prayer. Now, Dr. Cairns will introduce this message, The Spirit of Prayer. There are two verses of Scripture that I want to take as a text, or at least as a launching pad this morning, one in the New Testament and one in the Old Testament. First in the portion that we have read together, Ephesians 2 and verse 18, and then in Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 10. Ephesians 2.18 says, For through him, that is Christ, we both, that is Jew and Gentile, have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Through him... We have access by one Spirit unto the Father. 
Then over in Zechariah 12 and verse 10, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, and they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him. I will pour upon them, says the Lord, the spirit of grace and of supplications. I know of nothing which people, or to which people pay greater lip service and less real attention than prayer. All Christians that I have ever met, and even quite a few unsaved people that I have met, express great confidence in the power of prayer. And yet there is peculiarly little practice of prayer. Very frequently people will read books about prayer, even write books about prayer. They'll hear sermons and preach sermons on prayer. They will promise themselves that they will pay more attention to prayer and they will spend more time in prayer. At times they will even be able to drive themselves through some great self-discipline to be able to pray or at least appear to pray for a period of time. But the reality of a meaningful and happy and encouraging prayer life is something that is very, very far removed from the vast majority of people today. Now, right at the very commencement, it must be admitted that there are serious and peculiar impediments to prayer in every person's life. I could list a lot of things. But it's interesting that in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul sums up all the difficulties about praying on our part to two great things. He speaks of ignorance and he speaks of inability, spiritual impotence. Now we think of ignorance first of all. He says in Romans chapter 8, if you read verse 26, that we know not what to pray for as we ought. Now let's get this. If we're saved, we ought to know what to pray for. And the reason for that statement will become very clear as I proceed with the message this morning. We ought to know what to pray for. But the truth of the matter is that we don't know what to pray for as we ought. You remember it was after quite a time of personal fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, watching Him, listening to Him, seeking to obey Him and serve Him, that the disciples came, according to Luke 11 and verse 1, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. After all this time, after the greatest possible example, after the best preaching that any man in any time has ever been privileged to listen to, and they still didn't know how to pray. They didn't know what to be praying for. They didn't know how to go about praying. So here then are two aspects 
of our ignorance. We don't know how to pray, and we don't know what to pray for as we ought. And then, very closely allied to that kind of ignorance, there's another. And that is that very often there is an ignorance of the Word of God. We discover again today that the Scriptures are absolutely vital if we're going to be able to pray. Some people have the notion that praying is being able to make a speech to God that's going to make an impression upon Him. It's going to cause the angels to stand up and clap in heaven and give this wonderful applause to a tremendous effort that's made. But that's not praying. At the heart of prayer we will find lies the Word of God. And an ignorance of the Word of God is going to be a serious impediment in prayer. But not just a knowledge of what the Bible says, but what I suppose the old Puritans would have called a spiritual knowledge or a, a knowledge of the spiritual use of the Word of God. Very frequently we don't know which precepts and which promises of the Word of God are applicable to us in a given situation. I pointed out on Wednesday evening in the talk I gave before the time of prayer that you cannot just, especially when it comes to methods of doing things, just run into a passage of Scripture and say, that was done there, therefore that is the way that it must be done today. I pointed out that that's impossible and it can be very, very uh, destructive because uh, it wasn't always done the same way even in Scripture. So we must have a knowledge of the spiritual use of the Word of God. There are very few men of Issachar, as the Bible calls them, in the, the first book of Chronicles 12 and 32. You remember those men of Issachar? They had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. That's a tremendous ability given only by the Spirit of God. So we have, therefore, first of all, this ignorance. We don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. And then we don't know the spiritual use of the Word of God. So there's ignorance. But then there's inability. Let me give you some very familiar scriptures. You remember the Lord Jesus, Matthew 26, 41. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he comes to his disciples and finds them sleeping when they ought to have been praying. Now let's not blame them. How many times would the Lord come to you or me and find us sleeping when we ought to be praying? How many times have you started out to pray and you sleep and you don't pray? We have all known that. The devil can put anybody to sleep on his knees. In fact, and I don't mean this in any way facetiously, but I, I do tell you this. If you have difficulty getting to sleep at night, you should pray. Try it. Winston Churchill once said that he never feared sleeplessness. If he couldn't sleep, he didn't have the wit to pray. So he got up and he would work. Because uh, he said there's nothing wrong with not sleeping at night. The only thing that's wrong is when you worry about it. And there's a lot of truth in that. But I'll tell you, if Christians would pray, they would find it would help their sleeping. For the devil would want to make sure you get to sleep rather than let you pray. 
And if the Lord overrules them and you don't get to sleep, I'll tell you, at least you'll put your waking hours to good use. Notice how often the psalmist spoke about his meditation upon his bed. About his songs in the night. Those were sleepless hours. When sleep would not come to the man of God, what did he do? He prayed. You'll find if you try to pray, the devil will want you to sleep. That's what happened to them in Gethsemane. They fell asleep. Now the Lord Jesus came and he said, the spirit indeed is willing. That's the mark of a Christian, you know. His spirit is willing to pray. He said, Christ, the flesh is weak. There's inability. Paul spoke of this weakness in Romans 7 and 18. He said, how to perform the good thing. Not merely prayer, but any good thing. How to perform it, I find not. I know what I ought to do, but how to do it. That's something that so often, he says, escapes me. In fact, Jesus said to these disciples that they couldn't even watch for one hour. Now, we could, you know, bring that to modern times. And for most preachers, they couldn't pray for five minutes. For most church members, they couldn't pray for five minutes either. It's not that they can't watch for one hour, but they can't even watch for more than a few seconds. Here is inability, and these are the problems, the impediments about prayer. Now, there is an answer, and I want to tell you that the answer is not gripping your teeth and saying, well, I have to do it. That's not going to be the answer. That will lead to bondage that will be bitter to your soul. But the answer, thank God, has been provided in the person and ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. We have read two texts today. Ephesians 2.18 speaks of the privilege of prayer. We have access by the Spirit on the merits of Jesus Christ. By the energy, by the power, by the guidance and the grace of the Spirit of God. We have access to God. Then in Zechariah 12 and 10, uh, there is a promise about the power of prayer. The Lord says, I will pour upon these people the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit. And He's given a peculiar title. The Spirit of grace and of supplications. And that deals with the ability to pray. We have access and we have ability from God the Holy Spirit. So today, very simply, I want us to take a few minutes to think upon the Holy Ghost as the Spirit of prayer. Now, as the Spirit of prayer, there are various things that the Holy Spirit does. First and foremost, He creates a desire to pray. Zechariah 12 and 10, He is the Spirit of grace and supplications. He is the Spirit with whom originates grace and with whom originate supplications. He is the one who first of all creates within any man's breast a desire to pray. Now this comes first of all to the matter of salvation. 
First and foremost, when God the Holy Spirit regenerates a man, he gives him a desire to pray. He gives that man the desire to call upon Christ for salvation. No man will call without that. Without the Holy Ghost, sinners are so stubborn in their sin, so settled in their sin, that they have no desire to call upon Christ for salvation. Now, sinners can desire to be religious. Sinners can desire to be upright and uh, moral living. But there is one thing that is impossible for the mind of the flesh, and that is to desire to repent of sin and receive Jesus Christ as Savior. The Spirit of God creates a desire in an unsaved man by regenerating him to pray. Now, if you have never a desire to call on Christ, you can be a Protestant, you can be a Presbyterian, you can be baptized, you can be in the church membership, you can sing in the choir, you can preach in the pulpit, you can do what you like, but you're not saved. You're not saved. Any person who can blindly go through life without a desire to pray is a person in whom the Spirit of God has not done the first saving work. The very first thing that the Holy Ghost does when He regenerates a man is to cause that man to pray. In Acts, you will read in chapter 9 of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. And the Lord Jesus appeared to Ananias in the city of Damascus and told him to go to Saul of Tarsus. And Ananias thought that the Lord had made a mistake. Isn't it wonderful that even spiritual men like Ananias would argue with God and say, Lord, you've made a mistake. And he says, Lord, I have heard by many... You know, that's a big problem with so many Christians. Instead of hearing from the Lord, they're hearing from the many. Instead of being tuned to heaven, they're tuned to earth. Instead of being moved and motivated by what God is revealing to their hearts from the throne of glory, they are held in check by what they see in the circumstances and the people of this world round about them. And Ananias says, Lord, I have heard by many of this man. And the Lord puts his heart to rest and he says, you go to Saul of Tarsus. How did Ananias know that this man was saved? Jesus says, behold, he prayeth. Behold, he prayeth. First thing the Holy Ghost does is create a desire to pray. You've been listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church of North America. We hope you've enjoyed and benefited from today's program. We're here as your servants for Christ's sake. If we can be of any further help to you in the things of the Lord, we invite you to contact us. 
If you would like to receive our booklet, Separated Unto the Gospel, a booklet that sets forth the beliefs and standards of the Free Presbyterian Church, you may have a copy free of charge, simply for the asking. Our mailing address is Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. That's Let the Bible Speak, 1207 Haywood Road, Greenville, South Carolina, 29615. Our email address is info at faithfpc.org. That's info at faithfpc.org. If you would like to learn more about the Free Presbyterian Church of North America, we invite you to visit our website, www.fpcna.org. That's www.fpcna.org. This is Charles Kelsch saying thank you for listening and inviting you to join us again as we Let the Bible Speak. 